We recently heard this reading proclaimed in our midst at the beginning of the Easter Triduum on Holy Thursday at the evening Mass of the Lord's Supper. This is not only important as a description of the Last Supper and of the Eucharistic Eucharistic Assembly of the Apostolic Church. It is equally important as the proclamation and the teaching of the early Church and its confession of faith, which is likewise ours some two millennia later. Having just written about the agape which precedes the Eucharist, marked by mutual charity and sharing of food and companionship, St. Paul states bluntly that this is being violated in the Corinthian assemblies by discrimination against the poor and the needy, by drunkenness, by exclusive and clannish behavior. What he writes to the Corinthians is not not in praise, he says, but rather to correct shameful behavior at public worship. St. Paul devotes a whole chapter in this letter to the Corinthians on the conduct at public worship. Why? Was there nothing else about which to write? Was this done to be chatty or somehow to fill in space and take up time? I don't think so. The answer why can be discovered in the vision of St. John the Evangelist. In chapter 7 of the book of Revelation, just proclaimed in our midst. There is a scriptural tradition of turning to other passages of sacred scripture to understand a particular passage of scripture. By looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and also Revelations chapter 21, light can be shed on Revelation 7, and they help us to better understand St. John's vision that we heard this morning. In better understanding the great multitude surrounding the Lamb and the Lamb himself in the vision of St. John, sheds light on what we are doing here this morning and why we are doing what we are doing this morning. Today's reading from Revelations chapter 7 together with that from Revelations 14, 15, and 19, lead to the ultimate vision of the new creation and the heavenly Jerusalem found in Revelation chapter 21. The throne and the Lamb are familiar images. Around them we see gathered a great and vast majority which no one could count or number a peoples from every nation, race, and tongue. This is resilient with themes of the ingathering of all peoples streaming toward Jerusalem, the new holy celestial city of which the Psalms and the prophets speak, as well as of the universal salvation so very plentiful in the Gospel of St. Luke. The crowd and the throng of people are wearing robes washed in the blood of the Lamb, which has made them white. Now at first, we may think that the blood 
is Christ's atoning sacrificial blood, which removes the stain of our sins. And it truly does. However, in St. John's writings, there are very few traces of this atonement theology. Rather, the Lamb in St. John's Gospel and his other New Testament writings is the Passover Lamb, the Lamb whose bones are not to be broken, whose flesh nourishes and fortifies the people for their journey to freedom, and whose blood, as in the Exodus, protects God's people from the destroyer and death, and so saves them. This is the Lamb of God, from whose pierced side on the cross came forth blood and water to cleanse, revive, and to open the way to new life for all peoples, for all times. The Lamb, who is also the shepherd, is now enthroned in glory. He lives no more to die. The throne and the Lamb occupy center stage in their glory, and both are the center and the summit of the universe of all things, visible and invisible. The great multitude before the throne and the Lamb is that of the elect, as countless as the stars of heaven or as the sands of the seashore, all descendants of Abraham. Their robes, made clean in the blood of the Lamb, are brilliant white, the color of purity, victory, and innocence. In celebrating the sacred liturgy in this holy place, this place set apart for this purpose, we are here now in the midst of time and space as we are simultaneously transported to the divine liturgy in the holy heavenly Jerusalem, to the Last Supper, the cross, and the empty tomb. It is the Lamb, slain, risen, gloriously triumphant and reigning, who becomes shepherd, the good shepherd, who knows the sheep, who in turn hear his voice and follow where he leads, namely, in the way of generous, loving, selfless service, in the way of intimacy with the Father, in the way of suffering and death of the cross, in the way of resurrection and eternal life. To be sure, at times, we will be led where we'd rather not go. Yet we have the assurance of the Good Shepherd that if we heed his voice and follow him, we will not perish but have eternal life. Dangers abound on the way. But remember, the Paschal Lamb who was slain, whose body and blood nourishes us and washes us clean, by whose wounds we have been healed, is our shepherd. In him and in him alone is our safety, our glory, and our victory. Let us celebrate the liturgy then standing before the throne and the victor lamb, dressed in long white robes washed in the blood of the lamb. Let us sing the new hymn at the lamb's feet at his high and glorious throne, 
Praise our God, all you his servants, you who revere him great and small alike. Let us rejoice, be glad, and give him glory, for the wedding day of the Lamb has come. His bride has prepared herself for the wedding feast. She has been given a dress to wear, made of finest linen, brilliant and white. May the lives that we live and of the liturgy which we celebrate ever prepare us for the heavenly liturgy of the new, holy, and eternal Jerusalem.